This podcast series is brought to you by the University of Sussex. If you're curious about what makes some apps successful and others not, this series gives you a valuable insight into seeing if your app has got what it takes. With the help of three successful app founders, we'll be investigating and answering some of your questions. I'm Chris O'Hare, your host and resident app expert with 10 years experience in software development and founder of award-winning technology consultancy, Hair Digital. We've built apps for businesses big and small. This is How to Make an App. In this episode, we'll be talking about how to get funding for your app. This is an important topic because without funding, you're not going to get your app built. An app isn't the cheapest thing to build. First, it's a good idea to create a pitch deck that demonstrates all the key elements of your idea. Now, a pitch deck is essentially a PowerPoint presentation that describes your idea to others. See it as an appetizer to highlight all the main points of why someone should be interested. To make a good pitch deck, you're going to need the following slides. The value proposition slide, a short one-line statement that tells people what it is you're attempting to do. A lot of people use major brands to describe their offering. Something like, we're the Uber of the construction industry. Next, you've got the problem slide. This is where you describe the problem you're trying to solve. This needs to be quite compelling. Tell a story about how and why the problem exists, or how you stumbled across it. Get across how irritating it is to some people. Next is the target market and size of the opportunity slide. Now, what you need to do is talk about who are the people you're trying to solve the problem for. How many of them are there? How much do they already spend in this market already? Try to identify the niches, because if your target market is too broad, it's unlikely you'll be able to reach it with marketing. The solution slide. Now, this is where you talk about your solution to the problem. How does your app fix your customers' pains? Perhaps you can include a brief video, or if you're presenting in person, a live demo of how the app works with one of your prototypes that you've already built. The business model slide. How does the business make money? How are you going to differentiate from your competitors? Are you a premium or a budget offering? Next, we have the traction and validation slide. Have you already had sales or a letter of intent from a major customer? Or maybe you've had thousands of signups on your website. You could also include testimonials of people who've used your prototypes. And if you already hit milestones, show how far you've got. What you're trying to do here is de-risk the venture to potential investors by demonstrating that the idea has been validated. The marketing and sales strategy slide. How will you be seen by your ideal customers? What will make them take notice of you? Now, marketing is quite expensive, so you need to be smart in how you approach it. You could even look at using guerrilla marketing techniques to stand out. Now, this is one of the most important parts of a startup and therefore should be treated as one of the most important parts of your pitch deck, along with the problem and solution slides. Next is the team slide. Do you have the right team members in place to get where you need to be? What's their skill set and their backgrounds? Have they done anything like this before? And do they have a proven track record? Make sure to highlight all your team's previous successes. The financials slide. This demonstrates that you have a good grasp of your financial figures and what your startup needs to fulfill your vision. 
you need to show your estimated revenues, your profits and your costs for the next three years. Your estimated at build costs need to go in here too. And be sure to be able to justify these estimations if you've had quotes or you've modeled these against competitors. The competition slide. Now, more than likely you have competitors and it's not necessarily a disadvantage as it could help prove that your ideal customer has a problem in this area and is willing to pay to solve it. Explain how you are different from this competition and why your customers would use your service over theirs. What's your unfair advantage? The investment slide. How much investment are you looking for and how would you use it? What's the justification for this sum of money? You're going to need to understand your startup's valuation. The exit strategy slide. Your investors would like to see a sizable return on their investment. But to do that, they'll need to see who your likely acquirers would be and if any other similar acquisitions have happened in the past. Or you can even perhaps float on the stock exchange if you're very successful. That's a fundamental breakdown of how to create a pitch deck. It should be enticing enough to warrant someone to take a further look at your business. And that's probably when you'll need to have a more detailed business plan ready to go. And once you come up with your pitch deck, you then need to think about the different routes to get the funding you need to build your app. And you can always fund the development yourself, although this won't be cheap. I haven't really seen a successful app that has been built by developers for less than £30,000. I wouldn't recommend borrowing to fund something as precarious as an app as you've no idea how successful it's going to be and you need time to fully mature the product market fit. Time is something a bank will not give you. Most people consider getting a technical co-founder and this is actually harder than it may first appear although if you strike it lucky the benefit is that you can get someone to build your app with as much passion as you and you've got a technical advisor to boot. If this is a route you want to explore, then the next step is to go and find a technical co-founder. I'd recommend posting on places that they'd visit or via local developer networking groups. You can also speak to developers to see if they know anyone who might be interested. Although it can be quite difficult to pull a developer away from their own jobs and projects, and they will need to be suitably convinced that you have a great idea. They're in high demand and everyone says to them, they have the next big idea. You'll also need to ensure that you have contractual obligations. So if you have any differing opinions later down the line, this can be dealt with amicably. Make sure to set out expectations, goals and roles of each of the founders. Commercial sponsorship from a trading business is a very valid option to get funding too. Businesses want a competitive edge and see speculative research-led ideas born from universities as a way to get a jump on their rivals, if not just a good marketing angle. Although they may limit the growth of the idea to only be used within their own business. So set expectations from the outset. I've seen many successful ideas grow this way as ultimately you're working hand in hand with your ideal customer. Remember to make clear what you're bringing to the table. To set about this, contact businesses in your field of expertise that you think would be interested in working with you or seek them out in conferences and get the contact details of a senior manager in the company. But probably the most common route to funding, yet appearingly the most elusive, is applying for grants and government loans. 
And there are lots of opportunities, but don't expect to get them without putting in the effort to meet their exacting criteria. These applications can take a very long time and there'll be lots of people applying for the same funding. Innovate UK is the most popular grant opportunity, which is funded by the government. And Innovate UK puts out specific project proposals that businesses who are in this sector can apply for to receive funding. Although notoriously competitive and difficult to win, it can be a very effective funding route as they can be very sizable grants. The best way to find out about the various grants is to contact your local enterprise partnership as they will have the knowledge about all the latest grant opportunities, but they also have their own grant funds available. Another option not to be discounted is the fact there are lots of entrepreneurial competitions which can offer a significant prize fund and media exposure. They're definitely worth entering and don't take much time after you've done the first application. The most glamorous option is to seek investment from an investor, though this often has many hoops to jump through and expect your idea to be thoroughly tested by shrewd business people. Your pitch deck has to be compelling to even be considered investable. Investors are looking for a heavy focus on commercialization, route to profit and a return on their investment. The process typically takes a while for all the due diligence to be done. And bear in mind that you're taking on a shareholder in your business, which means that they often have a say on how things are done, but equally they can be an important ally with lots of connections and wisdom. Remember, investors want to get the best deal for them and they will look to take a healthy chunk of equity in your business. So look to get offers from several investors to truly understand your worth. It's also worth noting that when you accept an offer of investment, you're going to need all the relevant legal documents drawn up. Now, the most likely investors that will be interested in your business will be angel investors who are high net worth individuals. But there are other types of investors, including venture capitalists and private equity firms. Accelerators and investment brokers will be a good option to help you navigate through this process. There is also the Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme, otherwise known as SEIS. That is the government tax relief incentive that most angel investors use to reduce their income tax liability by 50%. But before investors can use this, the business needs to be SEIS registered, so make sure you do that. There's no right or wrong way to get investment, and often you can combine several different ways to get the money you need. We catch up with Ian Wakeman again to discuss how he went through the various funding rounds, including receiving grants and investment before passing the CEO role to an angel investor called Adrian Cooney. Thank you, Ian, for joining us again. I want to get your opinion on funding and the various stages that you went through and any advice that you would give to fellow either academics or entrepreneurs out there that would like to kind of go through this journey but let's start off with working out exactly the different types of funding you received how much you got and kind of what was the influence of getting that funding nice to be here again I'm, i've been an academic for 31 years now and i do computer networks and obviously there's always been a fair amount of sort of um commercial activity taking things which academics do as commercial with networks and turning them into companies 
two dates, I've never really found something which really attracted my interest as something that should be commercialized. So once we had got the money to actually sort of run the initial projects with Burton Hove Albion, when we got to the end of it, the club was keen for us to commercialize it. The Football League was keen for us to commercialize it. And talking to the team, we felt happy that this was the right thing to do to actually turn ourselves into a company and see how we could actually sort of make it work as a commercial activity. So the interesting thing is around academics, there is a structure of funding that allows people to take potentially commercial ideas into the commercial world. Obviously, the Innovate UK itself sort of would supply money for startup funds for certain businesses. Because of the timetable we were working with, another deadline came up and the Royal Academy of Engineering was running these enterprise fellowship schemes where they'd give £85,000 to sort of people to help them commercialise an idea, give them coaching, support them, and get them to the point where they could launch a company with their product. So I put the application into that and found out sometime in November of 2013 that we'd awarded that. So we were then able to, with a fair amount of confidence, spend the next year building our software, testing making sure it got better and better so that we could actually sort of deliver workable products and get sort of sales in. The main source of funding for any company should always be sales, for instance. And so we were absolutely delighted in February 2014 when we actually got our first sale and got a commitment from the Football League that they would run a sort of test a trial with clubs over the start of the 2014-15 season with our software. And we worked with six clubs with Brighton, obviously, but also with Crystal Palace, QPR, Bolton, Birmingham, to sort of build apps for them. That was great. That was a source of funding. And that enabled us to actually get into the position because we impressed them enough with ourselves that we could actually sort of turn ourselves on, hire two full-time employees and pay ourselves wages. So we actually had enough money coming in from our initial customers to actually sort of fund ourselves going forward. Now, you'd like to think that was all you needed to do Business to business, the clubs were saying, yeah, this is really good. And yeah, we like the fact you've integrated the Football League player and funding. Problem being, as February 2015 turned around, the clubs were saying, "Uh, yeah, okay, this is very nice, but we'd like to reduce our costs. So they sort of forced us to sort of reduce our monthly fee. And so we were starting to get a bit sort of um, dodgy about whether we could keep paying ourselves salaries. And at that point, we started looking around to see what we could we do around angel investors. I spent a lot of time going around the various angel investor groups, talking through various people about sort of what we need to do, things to be aware about. Once you take your angel investor, you've got to be fairly sensible about contracts in terms of the agreement are going to be. The investor wants the best terms for them. You want the best terms for yourself. And you've got to make sure that you come to an agreement without getting lawyers too much involved, because otherwise they spend an awful lot of money on sort of lawyer costs, which eat up a chunk of the capital that's coming in. We made that mistake. We didn't make it again. So we did a lot of work with VCs. Uh, we went to various venture capital groups, talking to them. We had offers on the table from one group to invest. They were willing to put in sort of 120k in for us. But then we also had angel investors starting to get interested and said the key one for us was Aidan Cooney, who did run Opta, knew what the business was, had a lot of contacts, and sort of was able to leverage us up to actually sort of be more active in the sort of sporting arena. It gave us more credibility as well. So we took that investment and we were able to sort of move forward in 2015 to the point where sort of um, we made the transition from 
ourselves uh, being run by myself as the chief executive officer to bring in Aidan in to actually sort of start running the company once his sort of non-compete period was over. Aidan was a lot more credible. And again, because he built Opta from a small company at this statistics to sort of something that was worth 54 million, which performed Uke Group at the time, then took on and bought basically a lot of credibility with sort of um, investment groups and was able to bring in a much larger sort of seed funding than we as ourselves would ever have been able to do. And so we got 1.2 million in December 2015 to support the group going forward. And so we were able to bring in more hires and start to pivot around sort of what we were doing in terms of products as well. And that was the point I left to go return to the university. Out of interest, what's the breakdown of the money you received to make all of this happen? Yeah, initial research project within the university. We got the money in October 2012 which funded us through the first year as a research project. That was 80000 or so. Then we received the Royal Academy of Engineering money, which actually technically came in February 2014 as 85k to again to support us. I already had agreement, and we notified about in November that that money was coming. I was being sort of bought out and being paid by the university, and we were able to support the other people actually in the company at that point because there were still just the three of us. John was working part-time. Kieran Tentley was a PhD student and being funded uh, on a funded studentship. So we were able to look after ourselves while in the period between September through to February 2014. We got our first sale in February 2014 to actually sort of build and put in place the apps for the first six clubs. And obviously the 85,000 came in, uh, which 40,000 was basically for us to actually sort of manage as we wish. Another 40 grand went to the university to pay for my replacement. So I was still funded and being paid by the university in the uh, 2014 to sort of February 2015. We then took investment in well, April the 1st or April the 2nd or something, 2015 from Aden, uh, which was 120,000. And then sort of Aden brought in the sort of second round, the seed funding, 1.2 million in December 2015. One of the scary things about running a company is always worrying about whether you can pay salaries at the end. It was difficult sort of looking at the business account and looking how far overdrawn we were getting each month just because we were just on the brink. Actually, we were making a loss, basically. So the salaries were going out and we were creeping further and further into the overdraft. Then the fees would come in from the former league, make us look a little bit better, but it still that didn't quite cover our costs. And our costs rose. I mean, it's not just the salaries. We also had sort of costs around sort of um, running the AWS servers as well. Again, we cheated, used academic sort of credits for AWS for a while, but then they ran out and we had to start paying proper fees where all of a sudden we're paying over £1,000 a month for AWS. There's an unexploited market there around what you do with all the information people are happy to give a football club, even in the light of GDPR. What can you do with that information to increase the amount of money you make per fan? And that's essentially what the proposition was that sort of attracted investors. And we built up to sort of getting a new round of investment of basic seed money in excess of £1 million. At that point, I left to go back to university in January 2016. And Aidan has taken the company forward from then. Ian Wakeman, co-founder of Tribe Hive. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like a cheat sheet for this episode, please go to www.hair.digital forward slash how to make an app. In the next episode, we'll be talking about how to build 
your app. If you ever see a live show being made, maybe at a football ground or, say, a theatre, you'll notice some big trucks in the car park. And these big trucks are full of equipment, full of people making the show. They've got lots of cables coming in and out of them. And what we've done is we've taken all of the equipment in those trucks and we've put it in the cloud. This means you don't need to have those trucks. All the people that would have traditionally driven to the car park no longer have to do that. They just connect to the cloud from home. And in our case, they use a suite of apps to then control the cloud-based virtualized equipment. This has been a Fresh Air production for the University of Sussex.